Congressman John Lewis, before his passing, wrote, democracy is not a state, it is an act. And what he meant was that America's democracy is not guaranteed. It is only as strong as our willingness to fight for it. Welcome to How We Won. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are going to the White House. All over the country, people did and are still doing extraordinary things. We've won some battles, but we still have more to do. If this election has shown us anything, it's that the hard work of being a citizen doesn't stop and we don't quit either. Can't stop, won't stop. The best antidote to anxiety is action. We win when we engage in the work to make our country more fair, just, and equitable for us all. Joining us to talk about why he's confident in our election results, even as Trump pulls out all the tricks to try to hold on to power, is California Secretary of State Alex Padilla. He talks facts, truth, and real voting numbers. How about that for a change? I like it. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And And this this is How how We Win. What did you do on Saturday? You know, I've heard people joke around about ugly crying and what that means. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I experienced that on Saturday and I was uh, FaceTiming with Melinda, my wife, who is in Vancouver. Sadly, we couldn't be together when uh, the news came through. And she took a picture of me with her phone of my ugly crying. I didn't appreciate that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Can you post that somewhere? Nope. <laughs> Hashtag how we win 2020. <laughs> but yeah, I was with my daughter who voted. She voted in her first election and uh, we got to see the call together. And uh, what a, I, I was actually shocked because, you know, we've been talking about the mixed feelings and mixed results of the election, certainly, but I was just overwhelmed and um, just I didn't know I was going to react the way that I did to it, but it's been very emotional. What about you? Oh, same. And maybe it's because we've been doing this work for so long. We've been talking about the moment for so long. And then it took so long to call these uh, <laughs> critical states. Excruciating. And, yeah. And so I was watching and then I could hear, like I saw the news and I was like, okay, it's happened. And then I could hear my neighbors screaming outside um, yeah. And someone started playing the Rocky theme outside because <laughs> thank you, Philadelphia. And I could see, you know, my neighbors next door uh, hugging each other in the front yard. And I just looked at CNN and saw Kamala Harris and said, hmm. oh, my God, <laughs> this is somebody who looks like me who's going to who's going to be vice president. This is amazing. And, you know, I have, we, we have this little baby, so we couldn't join the celebration, which, you know, probably wouldn't have been the smartest thing to do anyway, but we could see yeah. it from our window. So I watched everybody in, in Silver Lake, California, take to the streets and, and spend hours uh, honking their horns and celebrating and dancing in the street. It was great. Yeah, we had neighbors come out. 
<laughs> there were neighbors in, in our little residential neighborhood here who all came out in the street and were popping champagne and making noise and, and, and watching all of that um, all over our country on the news mm-hmm. and, and hearing people from all over the world congratulating America and, um, and excited about a, a new administration. It was just such a relief. I felt this giant weight off of my shoulders, not because the weight is gone, but because we have an administration that's going to help us carry this weight. We spent the last four years fighting an administration. Now we get to fight with an administration. And uh, it's it's really, really emotional. And um, I'm so hopeful. And it's bittersweet because um, we didn't win all the battles that we need to win. But it's important. It's so important that we take uh, account of how enormous this task before us was and what we had to overcome to do this. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think that I will put an asterisk beside fighting alongside the administration, because I think what we've learned, we've learned that together we all have a lot of power. And so I think that there are going to be times when we have to fight this administration to be better. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not to say that I'm anticipating anybody falling short or want or, or not having the best of intentions coming in, but that's what that's the truth for every administration and frankly, every um, body of government. We have to push them to make them better. And um, we can and should do that. But but Let's celebrate a little bit first. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. Uh, so, you know, we're going to be keeping our eye on this administration and making sure that they follow through with what we need them to do, and what we want them to do. And um, and they will serve the loudest voices, uh, whoever that is, if that's, mm. you know, corporate interests or if that's us and the, and the people. So um, it's important that we stay engaged in that work. Thank you for, for saying that. But I, I just want to give some people some context for what we did at Swing Left and thank all the volunteers who stood up, the massive amount of people power that we were able to galvanize in this election. Uh, we know what we had to overcome because we talked about it a lot. And I, I think that when we start debriefing the election, we kind of forget about that to a certain extent. But, you know, just the the massive voter suppression, the foreign interference, uh, Trump denigrating the election, denigrating the press, denigrating the truth, all that we had to overcome, plus a a global pandemic that made it very difficult for people to vote and and made us completely change uh, how we were going to vote and also how we were going to organize. It handcuffed our ability to reach voters and do the person-to-person, in-person contact that we like to do. So we had so much to overcome. And even yet, even still, we had over 4.5 million more people voted for Biden. And historic turnout uh, is just remarkable. It really is. It's historic. It's amazing. Um, And it's what we should be striving for for every election. And this is the hard part, right? Is like now that we know that we can do it, you know, now you have to hold everybody to a higher standard and the the standard can't be fight Trump every every two years. Yeah, that's a great point. We've been so focused on 2020 mm-hmm. um, 
what does how we win mean moving forward? You know, we always say we win when we all get involved and, uh, and that's how we win. That's how we win for social justice and equity in our country. We all need to stay involved and stay engaged with the work of being a citizen. And if we can do that, if the people who, uh, let me talk about what Swing Left did in this last election cycle. And um, if we can sustain that, then we can really do great things for everybody in our country. We raised more than $25 million for candidates and organizations Mm -hmm. in key states. We made more than 7.8 million phone calls to voters in battleground states. Just incredible. Mm -hmm. And we wrote more than 18.9 million letters to voters in key states in partnership with Vote Forward and the Big Send Coalition, which you might remember, Mariah, our goal for that was 10 million letters. 10 million, yeah. Yeah. Almost double. Uh, That's amazing. And, and, you know, they're still counting votes. and right. in some places, the winner is going to win by a very small margin. And for the places where Joe Biden is the winner, you you all did that. And just think if you had not done it, if if we had not had this many millions of dollars, phone calls, texts, letters, where we would be. Like that this is this is you all. This is amazing. Yeah. We need to acknowledge that and thank everybody for for stepping up and getting involved, especially for people who did it for the first time. We really, really, really don't want you to go away. We want you to stay involved. And uh, mm-hmm. and and Secretary Padilla even talks about how um, our work goes on not just on Election Day, but the 364 days around Election Day as well. Right. And he's got some great suggestions for what we can do. And I know that there are going to be many opportunities um, for work coming up in the just literally days. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because now we have to look towards January. George is on my mind and everyone yeah. else is right now. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed your weekend off. <laughs> <laughs> right. Voter registration opened in Georgia yesterday. <laughs> so... Well, let's talk about that. You know, that's our call to action, obviously, is uh, for people to get involved in Georgia. Um, And I I know that's top of mind for a lot of people already. We do have a Georgia page um, up that we'll link to on our podcast page, swingleft.org slash podcast. We have a fundraiser to donate to both the Warnock and Ossoff campaigns, a joint fundraiser for them, and opportunities to phone bank with both of those campaigns. Um, Also encouraging people to plug in directly with um, the new Georgia project and uh, Fair Fight, both of those organizations which have turned Georgia blue and uh, continue to be led, obviously, by Stacey Abrams and Insay Ufat. We should be taking their leads and, and, and helping out where they need help. Yeah, and, and, and if you want to hear more about what they have to say, shameless plug, <laughs> we've interviewed them both. You can go back through the podcast archives and get inspired. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I remember I remember being more nervous talking to Stacey Abrams than I have, I think, for literally any other interview we've done. <laughs> <laughs> She's amazing and scary smart. That's your call to action for this week. Our work doesn't stop. We... <laughs> We know how important it is to uh, to oh, Mitch McConnell. We need to we need to take the Senate, and this yeah. is our this is our chance to do it. Uh, at least for the next 
two years here. Um, we can, if we can win these seats, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be really difficult, actually. So please engage in that. What's your reason for hope this week, Mariah? Uh, Stacey Abrams, obviously. Mm. Who, um, they say that the best revenge is a life well lived. And I would say the best revenge for her is 800,000 registered voters in Georgia. Uh, so thank you, Stacey Abrams. You did incredible and may have actually flipped Georgia, which would be amazing. Still waiting on those vote counts, though, and, and a recount, I guess. Uh, what is your reason for hope this week, Steve? I'm going to go with, uh, with Biden-Harris becoming our president-elect and vice president-elect. We did that. It's incredibly difficult to defeat an incumbent, uh, especially one that uh, is happy to cheat and steal and use all the foreign interference that he can uh, muster. It didn't work. Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are going to be our president and vice president, and that gives me a tremendous, tremendous amount of hope for our future. Amen. I'm excited for people to hear Alex Padilla's interview. You worked for Alex Padilla. Oh yeah, I should I should have <laughs> I should really disclose that is that um he is a client of mine. But I would have wanted to interview him regardless. <laughs> but it it makes me very confident in what he says. He is um the California Secretary of State and just so passionate about ensuring that every eligible voter has the right to vote and has access to the ballot. It's really been inspiring um, having an opportunity to work with him and and hear his drive and, and see what he's um, willing to try out to expand access to the vote. Winning comes in all shapes and sizes. Every day there's an opportunity for a win, just like scratchers from the Virginia Lottery. Every day grab-and-go, every day giftable, every day fun. It's where anticipation meets instant gratification. And they're satisfying to scratch, no matter the outcome. Like the new Virginia Lottery Scratcher Colossal Cash. It's loaded with $100 to $500 prizes. Now, that's an everyday win. Drive to the nearest Virginia Lottery retail location and pick up a Scratcher today. Odds of winning any prize, 1 in 3.21. Alex Padilla is California's Secretary of State and Chair of the Democratic Association of Secretaries of State. As California's chief elections officer, he has expanded access to the ballot by launching same-day registration, automatic voter registration, and established online pre-registration for 16- and 17-year-olds. As a result, California has a record 22 million registered voters. Prior to being elected Secretary of State, he served in the state Senate and was the youngest and first Latino president of the L.A. City Council. Secretary Padilla, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. Well, thank you for having me. It's uh, what a year it's been in so many, many ways. <laughs> I mean, there's so many things that we want to get to about the election and your insight about preserving the integrity of the election, what we should be worried about or not worried about. But before we do that, you've been involved in organizing and political work for a long time. Can you talk about the, the first time that you really stepped up to take action? 
Uh, sure. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, getting involved in electoral politics, uh, let alone running for office, was the last thing I imagined I'd be doing when I was uh, growing up in uh, Pacoima, California, northeast end of the San Fernando Valley, uh, part of Los Angeles. You know, growing up as a son of immigrant parents, it, they emphasized education uh, a whole lot as a key to a better future. My favorite subject was math. And so that explains why uh, why the the gravity pull towards engineering and MIT. But uh, I think to answer your question, when I was fresh home from college in 1994, you know, California was a lot different back then. Uh, on the November 1994 ballot was Proposition 187, in many ways, the precursor to a lot of the anti-Latino, anti-immigrant rhetoric that we continue to hear to this day. Uh, there was a measure in, on the California ballot that would have made immigrants and children of immigrants no longer eligible for a lot of public services. Um, and, and the way I saw that campaign playing out was was harsh, uh, you know, scapegoating. It was attack, frankly, on uh, not just my family, but millions of families like mine across the state. So that's really the point when I knew, you know, I could be cynical about politics, but uh, if I didn't engage you know, we, I wasn't doing my part to try to uh, change politics in California and, uh, you know, stand up for uh, uh, underrepresented and overlooked communities. Yeah. So what, what was the very first thing that you did? So a couple of things. Um, you know, I went through the Coro Fellowship Program in Los Angeles. And uh, one of the experiences during that uh, fellowship is working on a political campaign, uh, part of the Art Tourist for Insurance Commissioner race, while Proposition mm-hmm. 187 was on the ballot. You know, pretty soon thereafter, I became uh, friends through friends of friends with uh, now Congressman Tony Cardenas. He was, uh, uh, we had a similar story, a similar upbringing uh, in the same neighborhood. He had left engineering for a real estate career and was considering a run for the state legislature. So when he made that uh, decision to run, he asked me if I'd be his campaign manager. Uh, I thought uh, he was nuts because I didn't know the first thing about organizing a political campaign. His response to me was he didn't know the first thing about running for office, <laughs> but he knew that we had similar values and a strong work ethic and that we'd uh, learn as we went. And, uh, you know, so proud that uh, a grassroots underdog experience was my introduction really to electoral politics and organizing because uh, by not knowing any better, we uh, we uh, worked harder than anybody could imagine. He won by 20 points. And uh, from that point forward, I've had a a number of great opportunities, uh, both as a staff member uh, on the campaign side in government and, of course, uh, in elected office now for more than 20 years. Was it frustrating when you when we first heard the rhetoric that Trump was using and then he was elected president and it was just so similar to what you first started fighting for? Oh, uh, completely. And I think that's why it even struck more of a chord with me, because it was, you know, as far as, you know, we have come, at least in California, over the course of the last 20, 25 years, to think we have to fight the same fights uh, that uh, were the case in 1994. But this time of the year, 20. 16 uh, and in the years since Trump's election. You know, I remember vividly it was uh, uh, 2016 was an exhausting year. Remember the presidential uh, cycle, uh, Clinton versus Trump, the outcome, of course, which was demoralizing for uh, so many of us. And just when uh, we were nearing the end of the ballot uh, canvassing process in California to see tweets that uh, millions of illegal votes in California 
You know, that's the only reason Trump lost a national popular vote. We knew nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, but here we we go again. You know, it's uh, let's attack immigrants. Let's uh, attack the Latino community. And, uh, you know, we had to stand up yet again. And I think that's what's inspired not just my work in California. Uh, and we can talk about that. But my willingness and desire to engage in states across the country to try to change the narrative to one based on fact, based on truth uh, and based on uh, justice and opportunity. Well, let's talk about that, because that's top of mind, obviously, for everyone. And Trump didn't stop in 2016 with those baseless claims. He's been trying to denigrate the election ever since. And um, we just elected Joe Biden and Kamala Harris during a time when the integrity of our elections is just under attack in a big way. And let's put put the global pandemic on top of that, which has made it uh, so difficult for people to vote safely. Can you first talk about what we've had to overcome in this election just so citizens could vote? Oh, my gosh. It's a, it's a, it's a long list. And, you know, I really start with every election, even prior to the pandemic. We work hard to make sure it's as accessible as possible to all eligible voters. So, you know, easy to say in California where we have so many ways you can register to vote on paper, online, automatically through the DMV, pre-registration, which you mentioned in the introduction. Uh, and even if you missed all those deadlines and opportunities, we have same-day registration. You can literally show up at the last minute, still register, and still cast your ballot. It's more work for the elections administrators, but we'd rather do the extra work to allow people to be able to cast their ballots. And of course, to vote. You can vote by mail. You can vote in person. You can vote early. You know, And I think that's the model that we should be working towards in, in states across the country. So we want to make sure elections are accessible, but also secure. Over the last you know, four plus years, we've heard a lot about election security, not just threats from uh, foreign adversaries, but the impact of election disinformation campaigns. Uh, and now in 2020, on top of all that, you know, we had uh, the COVID pandemic. So we needed to make sure that all these opportunities to register and to vote were also safe from a health perspective, you know, for voters and for election workers, too. Let's keep in mind the people on the other side of the table when uh, you check in to vote. And so, uh, you know, it turned out in California that the, the policies and initiatives that we had been championing to increase access to the ballot made even more sense during the pandemic, right? There's no safer way to vote and protect your health than from the comfort and safety of your own home. So we right. built the November election uh, administration model on vote by mail. We work to provide safe in-person voting options for voters who need it, because there are a lot of them. Uh, but, uh, you know, so I described going to the polls in person this year as kind of going, like when we go to the grocery store, bring your mask, expect physical distancing, the workers in PPE, you know, hand sanitizer for everybody, all those sorts of things. But we needed to make sure in-person voting was available for folks who need it. No easy task. I mean, part of the impact of COVID is not just a general fear about health, but let's think about uh, poll workers, right? A, a, a sizable right. chunk of poll workers who help every election are seniors and retirees. And they were the least available folks in this last November for obvious reasons because of COVID. And so, uh, you know, we had to go recruit a new generation of poll workers in a matter of months, not just in California, but across the country. And thankfully, a lot of folks did step up uh, to keep yeah. our democracy resilient and strong. So between that, new types of uh, voting locations, you know, it's just gratifying and uh, impressive. I got to say that uh, in most states across the country, we had both record registration and record turnout despite all these challenges. 
Right. Yeah. And that was really exciting for me, too, to see so many friends and, and people who aren't engaged uh, in politics very much who were volunteering to be poll workers and posting pictures of them in their PPE uh, at their polling location. And that was that was really exciting to see people get engaged in that way. Yeah. And, uh, you know, think of some of the unique uh, locations that debuted this year. Uh, like, uh, you know, a lot of uh, basketball arenas, uh, the Kings and uh, mm-hmm. in Sacramento, the Golden One uh, Center, the Staples Center in Los Angeles, uh, home of the world champion Lakers, even Dodger Stadium, That's home right. of the world That's <laughs> right. series champion Dodgers, you know, Levi Stadium, home of the 49ers uh, and so many others across the state uh, and and the nation. You know, I'm hoping that this wasn't a one time deal because uh, an exciting venue like that. Uh, you know, moving forward could serve not just as a safe location to vote, but maybe an inspiring one because it's a, a pretty unique selfie opportunity. <laughs> um, yeah. So far, it seems that this sort of broader push around vote by mail was successful. We've seen record turnout, but we've also seen continued attacks and Trump not conceding, um, primarily because he's continuing to push the narrative that vote by mail can't be trusted. How are secretaries of state across the country making sure that his attacks don't find footing, especially in these swing states? Yeah. So uh, like, whether they come from Trump or anybody else, attacks on vote by mail are simply not true. If you look at the data, you look at the facts, you know, that voter fraud is, you know, they say they're concerned about is actually exceedingly rare across the country, including vote by mail. And so uh, those attacks make our jobs harder as secretaries of mm-hmm. state, along with local elections officials. Uh, but we counter it with the truth. Uh, and constant correcting of the record. You know, in a lot of states, we're able to be proactive on voter education, not just with the, the security measures in place that, that safeguard vote by mail, like signature verification and, you know, the unique paper types for uh, the printing of ballots uh, and those sorts of things, but even tools like ballot tracking. You know, in states like Colorado and California and increasingly others, you can uh, track your ballot online just like you track uh, your packages when you're shopping online, including confirmation messages when your ballot's received and counted. So it's great for accountability, great for peace of mind, great for transparency and confidence in vote by mail. Uh, You know, I think the success of vote by mail in those states that expanded it for the first time because of COVID made believers uh, out of voters that might have been hesitant in the past, elections officials who might have been hesitant to, to make such a significant shift, uh, and hopefully policymakers so that we, again, make sure that uh, expansion of vote by mail was not just a one-time deal because of the pandemic, but is here to stay because it is secure and it's great for voters and great for civic participation. So um, not to belabor this because it's such a fine line when there's um, – you know, these are just baseless attacks and you don't want to amplify them, but it does have people worried. And especially when you have pretty much the whole of the GOP backing up Trump on this, um, at least outwardly speaking, probably behind the scenes there, uh, less so. And we see reports now in Pennsylvania of the legislature looking to open up independent commissions to study all of this. So, uh, are you confident that their attacks won't find any legal footing? I'm absolutely convinced their attacks won't find any legal footing, but I actually question whether that's their objective, but that's their goal. You know, as, as uh, uh, upsetting as a legal attack may be, what's 
uh, more dangerous here is if you get it into the public psyche that vote by mail cannot be trusted. If you undermine yeah. confidence in our free and fair elections, you know, what's left of our democracy? And so uh, that's really, I think, the ultimate uh, objective here. How do we maintain, if not strengthen, confidence in the elections and the integrity of the results? What's going to be an ongoing battle is not just a legal one, but a legislative one. You know, in, in areas where you know, have Democratic secretaries of state and Democratic legislatures and Democratic governors, you're seeing these reforms being implemented very successfully. Things not just like vote by mail, but automatic voter registration and, um, you know, more in-person early voting, those sorts of things uh, in areas where it's split. I know those few states where there's a Democratic secretary, but a Republican legislature where, you know, even though the playbook is clear on how to run an accessible, secure and safe election, with resistance from the Republican legislature, they can really muck it up uh, or at least make it look bad. I'll give you one example. Uh, both Michigan and Pennsylvania, with huge increases in vote by mail, the legislature shot down the flexibility for local officials to start processing and counting ballots early. Mm -hmm. So right. on election night, we saw that races were too close to call in some of these battlegrounds. We knew that. We, we expected that. And for all the people who were wondering, well, why is it taking so long or how why are they counting all these ballots after the facts? It was by design. You know, Trump and Republican leaders at the federal and state level, you know, created this scenario when it could have been avoided. You know, the dynamic of one candidate winning on election night, but if you keep counting ballots, the, the lead could shift. You know, that's a, you know, that's not unheard of for people with experience in vote by mail, but it was just new for so many states and so many pivotal states this presidential election but hopefully we would have learned from it and uh, can instill some better practices uh, more broadly across the country going forward. And there's no lead, too. There's no one leading. You just It's math. You count the ballots. Everyone's voted, what? and you count the ballots, and you have your winner. What, <laughs> right? what a concept. What a concept. Count all the votes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I think this uh, unfamiliarity, and and especially when when things changed quite a bit on election night, um, has brought a lot of conspiracy theorists and theories out of the woodwork. Can you just talk to people about how just some of the ways that elections officials prevent voter fraud and ensure that the millions of votes that came in are counted and recorded accurately? Right. Well, let me give you a couple of examples of. Uh, you know, vote by mail, for example, right? Since, since that was uh, in the spotlight so much this year. Uh, I mentioned this earlier, every election, every count, different paper types for the printing of ballots. And, and the folks that print the ballots have to be certified as well. They're all, you know, domestic print shops, no foreign uh, ballots that are being printed and flooding the system. Mm -hmm. You know, think of the ballot almost like our currency, unique paper types with watermarks and other distinguishing features to guard against fake ballots being inserted into the system, right? There's literally alarm bells that go off if that happens. When you return your vote-by-mail ballot, it has to come back in the official return envelope. And each of those envelopes has a unique barcode so we can help identify the voter. In part, that's what enables our ballot tracking system online in partnership with the Postal Service. But in part, it also allows county administrators to in uh, pretty close to real time, update a voter's record as having voted once that vote by mail ballot comes in. So if you vote by mail, your ballot arrives, you can't show up in person and try to vote again because they will know you have voted by mail. Now, if you vote in person and then a vote by mail ballot comes in from that voter, that vote by mail ballot won't be counted because they know you have voted in person already, right? So there's protocols to guard against things like double voting. When those ballots arrive at the county, by the way, 
the very first thing county officials do is compare the signature on the envelope with your signature on file as a voter to also help confirm the identity of the person casting the ballot. If the signature is missing or the ballots don't match, in some states, they just don't count the ballot. In states like California, it triggers a requirement that the county contact the voter to uh, give the voter an opportunity to cure whatever issue there might be. We'd rather go the extra step to make sure a, a ballot will be counted. And so uh, just to give you a flavor of some of the safeguards in place uh, around elections to guard against double voting, fraudulent ballots, uh, et cetera. Amazing how, uh, how Democrats really want to make sure people's votes are counted and they have access to the ballot and Republicans seem to want to be restrictive there. I wonder why that is. <laughs> uh, well, we don't have to wonder. I mean, they, they, uh, the, 2020 is the year of saying the quiet part out loud. You know, yeah. from Trump to uh, uh, other Republican leaders in Congress and state houses across the country, they were blatant and transparent about you know, their concern that if more people vote, their uh, political chances are weakened. Uh, not just Trump's re-election chances, but others uh, in, in other offices, uh, which is really a, a travesty. You know, if we all go back to what yeah. we supposedly learned in high school government class, our democracy works best when as many eligible people participate. That's how small D democracy is supposed to work. And like candidates and political parties make the case as to why voters should uh, for them and, and for their party or for their agenda. Uh, our job as elections administrators is to strengthen voting rights by ensuring that access uh, to the ballot that I mentioned earlier. So, uh, yeah, proud to say we're, I think, uh, the national leader in the state of California and increasingly trying to recruit and support other candidates for the office of secretary of state to advance this kind of agenda, this voting rights agenda for the 21st century, because the technology has come a long way and enables not just voter convenience and security, but increased access to the ballot. Is there anything that volunteers can do to, to help increase that access to the ballot? You know, let's uh, not lose sight of uh, the need for poll workers on election day or during in-person early voting. Mm -hmm. That was one of the real uh, concerns this year with so many prior poll workers not being available to the extent that we could offer that in-person voting opportunity for people who need it depended both on finding new locations as well as finding new poll workers. You know, there's also folks who can be helpful just by spreading good information and uh, being cautious to not spread wrong information about how to register and or uh, how to vote. You know, it's way too easy sometimes to, to retweet or share a post without uh, fact-checking it first. So, uh, you know, we, we work hard to make sure that uh, folks who had questions about elections go to the official sources, the county elections office or the secretary of state's website. So, Volunteers can certainly help that way. Uh, look, I, I don't know of a political party or a candidate who wouldn't take uh, some more volunteer help mm -hmm. in their campaigns and outreach efforts. Uh, but there's also a lot of nonpartisan and civic organizations, whether it's you know the Sierra Club and the League of Women Voters and others uh, who uh, utilize volunteers to help organize. Uh, and, and I should mention this, not just around Election Day but uh, in the 364 days between elections, uh, because uh, you know, our, our duty and responsibility as citizens doesn't begin and end with casting our ballot. Yes, I couldn't agree more. One final question that we ask all of our guests, what gives you the most hope for our future? Uh, you know, I think we look at just some of the numbers from this November's election, despite the challenges, right, from COVID to uh the cyber threats to the 
uh, attacks on the integrity of the process by the president and so many others. How did most uh, voters across the country respond? Not by sticking their head in the sand, but through engagement. You know, we had record registration in many, many states, record voter turnout nationally. So there's a lot of races out there that I wish would have gone the other way. But you look at the levels of participation mm-hmm. and say, you know what, that's actually a healthy dynamic in our democracy. Even more hopeful by seeing the significant increase in participation by young people. Uh, right? Usually it's younger voters that register at lower rates and vote at lower rates. Uh, but they're going to be the ones inheriting. Uh, this country and this planet. And so to see increased participation by young people uh, makes me hopeful for uh, for the future. Well, Secretary Padilla, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, well, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Mariah. I appreciate you both. And I hope to be back again soon. Thank you for joining us and for stepping up to take action. This is how we win. We win when we all get involved and stay engaged. That's right. We want to hear from you. Tweet to us at BluesBoySteve and at Mariah underscore Craven or email us at podcast at swingleft.org. If you haven't yet, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple or wherever you get your pods. Share us on social media and use the hashtag HowWeWin2020. Check out our page at swingleft.org slash podcast. And you'll be able to find out how to volunteer for these Senate races in Georgia while you're there. That's right. And we'll be broadcasting live from Atlanta next week. So, no, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) We really appreciate you being here with us. We'll be back with more next Wednesday. See you then. MSW.